Hello, I'm Jill Baker, and I'd like to welcome you to Hempton Theories of Inquest podcast with Liz Stokes and Elspeth Rose, who are both members of Hempton's healthcare advisory team. Liz and Elspeth cover inquests across the north of England and have experience in various coroner's courts. These podcasts will take listeners through the journey of an inquest, giving helpful background and advice. We'd love to hear from you as well with any comments you have or suggestions for particular areas you would like us to cover. If that's the case, simply drop me an email at j.baker at hempsons.co.uk. So welcome to our third podcast in the series, which covers the topic giving evidence and what to expect. I'll ask a range of questions of um, of Liz and Elspeth and time to get going, really. So hello, Liz and hello, Elspeth. Hi. Hi. So the first question I'm going to ask is, um, can you explain the process for a witness and who has to attend an inquest in person to give evidence? Hi, yes, um, I can talk about that one. Um, Before anyone is attending an inquest, they will be issued with a summons and they come directly from the coroner and the summons will set out the time and place that the inquest will be heard. And as part of the preparation before you actually get to an inquest, um, hopefully you'd have a conversation as to who else to expect when you get there and um, the, the, whether the family will be there as well. So when you first give evidence, um, the, the first thing that will be done is that you'll be invited into the court and, and shown where the witness box is. Um, the, the coroner themselves will explain obviously the purpose of the inquest and take you through the, the uh, events that will happen. And when you're called to the witness box, the first thing you'll be asked to do is to swear an oath or an affirmation and that's normally give you given a set of words um, to repeat. And then the coroner will take you through um, who you are, explain your role and responsibility and uh, take you through the, your witness evidence. And that can take a no- number of forms. Um, some coroners like to um, get you to read some of your statements. Some, some coroners would prefer to ask you questions directly. Um, I think that's probably your experience as well, Elspeth, that it, it can vary from coroner to coroner. Yeah, you can't really. Obviously, um, we tend to get a bit of a feel for which coroners like yeah. to uh, the methods um, that they like to employ. But yeah, it can vary completely. It's just how they want to elicit that evidence from you, really, isn't it? Yeah. And so so you're basically providing the coroner with the answers that they are. They they ask you. So you're directing your answers to the coroner um, whilst in the courtroom. Um, the family will be there as well and it's it's often quite hard to direct a, an answer to a question to someone who's not asking questions so if the family were asking a question um, it's it's often hard not to direct your response to them um, so the coroner would generally direct you as to what information is required and you'd obviously have your statement in front of you it's never supposed to be a process um, a memory test so the, the key goes back to what we were talking about in the last um, podcast about preparation. So you'd have your statement in front of you, but it's really important to be really familiar with the content of that evidence. And, and depending on whether you're providing sort of a factual overview of a particular situation or a broader based chronology, um, to, to have at your fingertips or the, the, the details of the information that you need to give. Um, Medical records will be available to you if you need to refer to them as well, if that was part of your evidence. But it's really, really important to be familiar with the evidence that you're being asked to give. That's really interesting. So in actual fact, if you have got those sort of papers and documents in front of you, even if you were asked a specific question, if it was something that was quite factual and quite detailed, there wouldn't be a problem as part of your answer to sort of read part of your statement, presumably, would there? 
No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, the coroner's like you need to know where your information is. And, and I, I, I don't think there's much benefit in sort of frantically searching around bits of paper to find information if it's a fairly straightforward question. They do expect you to have a familiar, familiarity with, with the information you're giving. But if there is a you know a particular detail about a medical record or um, a date or a time, then it's more important to get the information factually correct and to just take take the time to do that rather than sort of either fudge it or um, give an incorrect answer. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Again, it comes back to as you say what we said in the last podcast about preparation, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, knowing, yeah. knowing your way around those particular papers that are in front of you, and knowing your way around your statement. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm sort of quite interested that obviously in the the new world that we're living in at the moment. I mean, what happens if you have to give evidence over Microsoft Teams? I mean, is that something that you've had experience of, Elspeth? Yeah, exactly. Um, we tend to find, or at the moment, this is what I'm dealing with, sort of ninety ninety five percent of the time. Um, and given the latest rules, I think for the foreseeable, it will be um, courts run like this. So uh, in the same way as Liz was explaining, you would still get, you'd still be summoned as such to attend the inquest, but you'd be attending via virtual means. And the courts are seeming to be using Microsoft Teams um, as their sort of method um, and a, a method as opposed to, for instance, Zoom or or any other um, platform. So they use Microsoft Teams, they'll send you a link. Um, I always uh, sort of say to my witnesses, um, try and be ready as you, as you would if you were attending court, actually, you'd be attending in, in advance with a bit of um, time beforehand so that you can sort of settle yourself and get all your papers in order. So usually about, you know, 15 minutes before um, you dial into that link and then we can just check that your audio and visual is working correctly and being transmitted to the court and quite often I'm also um, making submissions and attending on clinicians behalf via Microsoft Teams as well so I'll be there um, on screen as a participant um, and liaising with with the court um, so that it runs smoothly. Sometimes family members attend via Teams as well. Um, but in the same way, you'll be um, asked to uh, give an oath or an affirmation, um, depending on if you have a religious preference. And in the same way as you would if you were there in person, you would be um, taken through your statement or taken through the documents, asked questions by the coroner and thereafter by the family or other interested persons. Um, and and then finally by your representative um, who will always come last in that order of question asking. Um, the only sort of quick tips I would I would have to add is to really um, really think and understand that wherever you are giving evidence is essentially the extension of the courtroom. So um, you're not to be eating your breakfast, um, no interruptions, try and check what's on the screen and sorry on on your walls behind you make sure if you're in your office there's no patient identifiable information um visible and just have everything to access phone on on silent and I know I'm stating the obvious but and um, sometimes it can get a bit lost when when you are virtual and if you're in a sort of home office for instance and also to remember that if you are in a room where it's being hosted so there's a few different witnesses giving evidence but sort of one person sits each 
you know, at a time in front of the computer when they are giving evidence in the same way as uh, if you were in court. Um, there should be no other sort of chatter or um, discussion going on with other witnesses, even if a, a witness may make a, um, a mistake in the sense of uh, a different sort of date or or some something like that, then we can easily rectify that or or it can be flagged to your representative who can flag that to the coroner. But um, the person who the witness who is giving their evidence should be giving their evidence in isolation without any additional interaction from other people. I think uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other sort of top tips, Liz, but um, those are the main the things. Other, I yeah, I think the only other thing I would add is that it's it's more difficult, I think, doing it remotely, especially if your legal representative and the witnesses are in different places, which is, has mm. been the case. So to have those conversations that you might have either before the inquest or um, during breaks in terms of um, what's happening or to the salient points those conversations are a bit harder to have so to stay in touch really to make sure that mm -hmm. um everyone has got contact numbers but not to have those conversations obviously whilst you're um definitely locked in and, and just make sure that you, you sort of have text or you know. and it's it's sort of different etiquette isn't it because what yes. i tend to advise my witnesses is when they're not giving evidence to obviously uh, mute their mics and turn their yeah. screens off because i find that it can be quite distracting, especially if you've got a number of witnesses. If everyone's screen is on, I quite like it when it's just the witness who's giving evidence to have their screen on. I find that that more helpful and um, I think it looks looks a bit more professional and refined. Um, but yeah, totally agree. Those those discussions and even dress rehearsals. I've done sort of test runs with my witnesses before just so that we can check that their rooms set up, their links set up yeah. correctly prior to it. So because it's an additional stressor, isn't it? Absolutely. That we're not really used to at the moment, um, or at least me, me and you are, but <laughs> not not maybe our witnesses. So um, it's definitely uh, something that preparation again is... Uh, yeah, again, it comes back to preparation, it doesn't it? It does come back to preparation. Um, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm sure that there'll be certain witnesses that are perhaps very used to these different mediums and using teams that may, may may feel more comfortable with it, that they use it during their working life, as you know, many people do. But you'll have other witnesses where it could be a very new environment to to them. And, and they've also got the worry of the technical aspect, haven't they, to feel comfortable with, as you say, you know, where you're actually sort of placed in the screen, your sort of room background. Um, you know, if people aren't used to using Teams or, or another medium, um, as you say, it's just an extra thing for them to have to consider. So I think the idea of a dress rehearsal Mm. Is, um, is is a really good idea, you know, particularly if you've got witnesses that are, are feeling a little bit more hesitant about about using the platform. Moving on then, um, just thinking more about witness questions, who can actually ask the witness questions within an inquest? Well, I think Elspeth touched on this in part when she was talking about the, the, the other part of it. Um, the, initially, the, the questions come from the coroner. It's the coroner's inquest and um, the coroner will ask those questions that, that, that he or she wants to know um, for the satisfy the questions that they need to answer. So usually the majority of the questions um, come from the coroner and they're usually very thorough, they're very detailed and um, they require very open and honest and helpful answers to be given by the, the witness. So once the coroner has asked those questions that they want to ask, they give an opportunity to um, the other interested parties to, to ask questions and usually that 
is the family or a representative of the family who has an opportunity to ask questions. And the coroners will sometimes assist families with formatting or formulating those questions to make sure that they're appropriate for the particular witness um, or there are questions that that witness is able to address. Um, and then um, once the family have asked any questions that they want to ask, the coroner will give an opportunity to other interested parties. So if there's other organisations um, that are present there, representative will have an opportunity to ask any questions. Um, again, usually or often you find that there are very few questions from other organisations or other agencies, um, but sometimes there, there, there's additional detailed questions on the particular issues. And once that um, has concluded, the coroner should give uh, witnesses own legal representative an opportunity to ask questions as well. So that would afford an opportunity to the legal representative to ask any clarifying questions or to um, correct anything that is, has, is not clear or just to um, reiterate anything that has uh, is, is of importance that needs to be established. Usually, and, and I certainly think my my approach is not to repeat all the questions that have been previously asked by the coroner or any other interested party. Questions should only really be asked if if they're absolutely relevant to, to getting the information down. Nobody wants to sit and listen to the same bits of information repeated all over again. Um, but sometimes it is, is useful for um, questions to be put to witnesses by your own legal representative as well. Um, so that's where the questions come from. Once that's all happened, the coroner will sometimes come back and ask a further few questions or further additional questions based on what they've heard. Um, but once those questions are concluded, in, in most cases, the coroner will um, uh, consider whether that witness can then be released. Thank you. Is there anything you would add, Elspeth? I think just as well, I'm just thinking that um, the word release, it sounds, yes, I think sorry, we're used to it, aren't we? Too. Because it's legal, but um, so uh, what that means is you're released from your oath in the sense that um, you no longer are giving your evidence under oath. And so you can, they quite often say you're, you um, can leave the courtroom or leave the virtual team's link or uh, carry on attending, but you're no longer giving um evidence so you can stay in the room um but i think I, I totally agree in terms of um what you've described liz as to um kind of the the methodology of how the the questions run but ultimately the coroner can sort of uh, jump in at any point um because really uh the, the it's the coroner's um sort of field to to be able to navigate and and uh, ask any questions room, any yeah. Time. yeah their courtroom they can ask they can interrupt um the the uh, legal representatives and ask their own question and then sort of go back so really it's uh, they have full discretion and with that regard oh, that's and really interesting also, yeah sorry, sorry just sorry. to add the coroner will also interrupt if they think that, that a witness is being asked a question that isn't appropriate or um, mm. out with what they can actually answer. The coroner will interrupt and, and um, stop this question or help help whoever's putting the question to phrase it differently, perhaps. Well, thanks, Liz. No, I was just going to say, I think that's, that's really interesting. I think it's really important to just remember, isn't it? It's the coroner's court. You know, it is very much the coroner that is the sort of in control and in charge of this. And although there's the opportunity for everybody to sort of have their say and obviously also for, for yourselves to sort of step in and um, you know represent your clients, it's very much them that are leading leading the whole um, sort of process. Um, from what you've just said and the various people that can ask questions just makes me think um, 
you know, what about family members? You know, sometimes they must ask some quite um, awkward questions um, or some difficult questions. And I mean, I suppose those awkward or difficult questions can come from anybody. I mean, do you have any advice, you know, for um, those people in the stand? Yeah, I might talk about this. So um, I think exactly as you say, Jill, um, kind of awkward questions or or well, just any kind of uh, difficult questions can come from anybody, including the coroner, including family members or their own representatives if they have them. Um, ultimately, it's the same as any other question. Um, my advice that I always give, and obviously I'll um, ask Liz what yours is, but um, I always say to my witnesses to try not to overthink um, the implications of their answer as such. Um, they should just answer honestly and frankly and quite straightforward. So listen to the question and answer that question. Sometimes you can tell that the cogs are whirring in um, witnesses' minds when they get a potentially difficult question. And actually the answer might be quite straightforward, but they're they're thinking too far ahead. Um, and I think I think and the coroner can see that. And um, but ultimately, both the just as Liz said, both the coroner will sort of marshal questions and make sure they're appropriate and within scope. Um, but also your legal representative, if you if you have one there, is there to support you and therefore field those questions um, and make sure that they are sort of appropriate questions to put to you and if they're not um it could be something that the um representative raise and so i've i've done that in the past where i've politely interjected and so steered the question slightly differently so they are more relevant and factual um what what do you find Liz? about yeah this i think I, yeah i would agree with you i think one of the one of the things that you sometimes find with some some families or some interested parties is that and the difficulty with them is that sometimes they're not giving questions, they're giving opinions and they're putting to you what they think, which is not the same or put, sorry, put into the witness what they think, which is not the same as asking a question. Mm -hmm. And in those circumstances, I think um, the witnesses are best advised not not to get into any sort of debate. Um, and as you say, listen for the actual question if there is one there and, and hopefully either the coroner or the legal representative will um, in, get in involved and interrupt and either help assist putting it into the form of a question or, or advise that that witness is not able to address the answer. But I think should, you know, should a family member or even a, a different legal representative of one of the other parties, you know, start um, putting to a witness something that they're not able to address or is just their view, um, I think it's just really important not to get into a into any sort of discussion or debate over um, you know the rights of wrongs of it it's just if they're saying this is what i think i think you know that's their opinion that's not a question so it's just think, just about listening for exactly what you're being asked i think yeah i think that the listening thing being an active listener is quite key because i think it's quite easy when you're nervous to think you've heard the question and we've all done it um but you're not actually listening to the the, the question that's being asked and i think um that can happen but also just as you touched upon um Liz, it's it's making sure that you keep um, sort of professional and neutral and not not riled up in any way, not suggesting that there'll be any um, really, really difficult questions in that sense, because obviously um, it's still a professional 
uh, courtroom and, and the coroner will be um, aware of all this as well as your representative. But um, you do have to just, you know, don't be um, sort of pulled into some kind of uh, back and forth. And also don't be afraid to say you don't know if you don't yeah, know. Um, I think a lot of witnesses are quite worried that they have to be all knowing and all seeing. And actually, if you don't know, the, the coroner would far prefer accurate, well, needs accurate factual evidence from you and not speculation. And that's really important. I think, I think you know, it's really important to remember that the, the, the bereaved families are at the heart of this and they and every witness is, should basically aim to be as open and helpful and mm. um, transparent as they can possibly be. Um, but, but at the same time, not sort of veering off into the realms of things that they can't answer. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful, actually. And I think sort of from what you've said there, if you do get into a situation where a family member is perhaps giving an opinion or, or there's something that's rather confusing, there's presumably no no problem in the witness saying, actually, I'm a little bit confused about what it is that you're asking or, you know, to ask for some sort of clarification, although you would probably expect the coroner to step in at that point anyway, wouldn't you? The coroner and to does realised... tend to. Yeah, no, right. you're, you're absolutely right, Jill. The coroner does tend to step in if there's if if there's more opinion rather than a question coming. Yeah. Um, but also, even if it's, it's not any kind of... Um, opinion or if the question is too convoluted or there's there's more than one question being put to you at one time again and just you, you can say could, can that be repeated or um what is it specifically that you're asking so um you are allowed to uh, and encouraged to engage in that way so that you can give your evidence as fully as possible okay thank you very much right moving on then um I mean, I mean, should someone actually seek separate legal representation advice from defence organisations? This is a question that we often get asked in sort of preparation witness meetings, isn't it, Elspeth? You have an individual who says, do I need to do I need to contact my medical defence union? Um, my advice would always be that um, it's a decision for you initially, but um, we are usually there to represent an organisation or a trust. And the only way reason we would advise that someone needs individual representation is if there's a conflict of um, bet between the, the organisation and the individual. Basically, it comes down to the individual circumstance and it's something that should be discussed ahead of the, an inquest um, and, and considered early on uh, in order to come to any conclusion. But it, 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 it's it's not a it's, it comes down to individual circumstances of the inquest i would say would you agree elspeth yeah certainly i think um more often than not we find that we can represent the the trust and and under that umbrella the the individuals involved um even if and that's not that some you know sometimes things um have not gone as smoothly as possible and so there may be learnings from it that doesn't mean that there's a a conflict um of uh, approaches or conflict of interest. So it's one of those that how long's a piece of string? We would have to look at the individual facts, um, but keep it in your mind. And it's and I would say that if you have been called and it's a question that's hovering in your mind and then ask it and that can be um, dealt with and, and raised um, and the lawyers can have a look at it. And then at least if you raise it in advance, you have enough time um, to have your own representative and have those kind of preparatory meetings really. And I would also always say that you know 
as a as a nurse or a clinician or anyone who has a, a, a defense organization that they're paying to basically they're you know it's mm. absolutely appropriate for them to contact them and ask, get their own advice and i have had circumstances where i've sort of liaised then with their organization just to provide a bit of information and then gone on to represent them under a, a trust or a, mm. um, individual agency you know within within their organization even having had conversations with their own um defense organization but it does definitely come down to an individual circumstances i think it yeah. needs to be looked at early on okay we've, we've touched on it you know both today and and in previous sort of episodes of, the, of this series about the fact that obviously this is quite a highly charged situation emotionally and you know with family members um you know often being often being sort of present I mean, what's your views on whether a witness should should actually provide their condolences, apologies, you know, sort of other other things that they would like to get across? Um, Elspeth, do you want to ask that one first? Answer that one first. Um, yeah, I, I would always say that um, essentially do what feels feels natural um, to you, because, you know, it's it's obviously a very difficult situation for the bereaved. And um, if if it's genuine, um as often and it will be um then and you feel you want to then definitely um give condolences it's it's polite um in terms of when to do this sometimes the witnesses i find um so when they're in the witness box they'll have given their oaths and then they say can i just say before i start um i want to pass my condolences and some say it at the end because the coroner sometimes says um is there anything else you want to add? And sometimes people use that opportunity. Um, but there's no there's no rules to it at all. Um, and in terms of apologies, again, it's it's more, I suppose it's just checking what you're actually apologizing for. I mean, um you, you can be sorry and saddened by the loss. Um, I think not to be sort of confused as to what what's actually being apologized for um and what was in control of but i think anything that just feels natural and genuine would be my advice i'd you know that's you should follow your gut on that one do you do you find that Liz? yeah i think so in terms of condolences i would say absolutely um yeah. off your condolences but again there's been circumstances where it is it sounded slightly contrived and i think that's mm. sometimes worse than not doing it at all but absolutely condolences with apologies again i yeah i would agree i think if it has come through the evidence and the circumstances of the inquest that there have been issues that need to be apologized for then absolutely apologize for them but mm. um just with a little bit of making sure it's um yeah you you know what you're apologizing for mm. i think being open again and um clear with 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 what it is you're saying and and, and your position and providing appropriate apologies mm -hmm. where necessary is really really useful yeah thank you i think i you know i hope that our listeners have found that sort of really helpful i mean certainly i found it um you know it's really interesting and again we go back to the same um so themes really, firstly, that, you know, it, it, they're very difficult emotionally charged situations, you know, we're, we're talking about bereaved people um, on, on the one side, um, and then more practically, you've once again stressed those sort of themes of preparation, you know, for the mm. witnesses. And I'm, I'm, you know, I would like to think and I would like to hope that perhaps, you know, in, you know the podcast such as this perhaps may help some of you, some, some of you listeners out there that have to go through some of these difficult situations. Um, 
as always, you know, Liz and Elspeth are very happy to sort of answer any specific questions that you've got. We're very happy to have, you know, sort of hear your comments or again, just to hear any suggestions you've got for, um, for, for future topics. My email address is j.baker at hempsons.co.uk and we'll also include that, um, you know, underneath the podcast in the um, sort of extra information. So I'd just like to say thank you very much to Elspeth and thank you very much to Liz. Thank you. Thank you.